You're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Do you want to speak with confidence and authority, have more influence, and get bigger and better results? Whether you're a top executive, an entrepreneur, or climbing the career ladder, this is the show for you. A leader who wants to inspire others and leave a lasting legacy. Now here's your host, world-renowned TEDx speaker, author, and executive communication coach, Dr. Laura Sokola. Welcome to the podcast, Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, your host, founder of Vocal Impact Productions and author of Speaking to Influence, Mastering Your Leadership Voice. My guest today is Dr. Ivan Meisner, founder and chief visionary officer of BNI, otherwise known as Business Network International. Welcome, Ivan. Thank you. It's great to be here, Laura. Now, give us a quick overview. For those out there who don't know, you've probably heard the initials BNI before. BNI is a networking organization with nearly 10,000 chapters around the world, which is incredible. What's unique about BNI as a networking organization that makes it so popular? Well, thank you. And we now have over 10,000 chapters in more than 70 countries. And we allow only one person per professional category to join a chapter. So your competition is not sitting in the room. We get together literally every week. So we have now 10,100 groups that meet every week. Now, since COVID, we had to pivot and they're almost all online, but we're gradually opening it up in places where there's very few, if any, COVID. And the focus is on generating referrals. Last year, during the craziest year I've ever experienced, we generated over 11 million referrals. We passed over 11 million referrals generated in what we call thank you for closed business. The value of those referrals was over 16 billion US dollars in thank you for closed business during the craziest year I've ever experienced. And I think it's a great example that, you know, today more than ever, you need your network. Your network is uh, a lifeline to your business. And that's what PNI is. It goes right to that whole adage about it's not what you know, it's who you know. Well, can I add something to that? Please. I think it's not what you know or who you know. It's how well you know each other. Mm. It really counts. The question is, can you pick up your phone and call that person? Do you know them well enough that you could call that great contact? Would they answer the phone? Would they take your call? And if you ask them for a favor, would they be willing to do it? Yes. That's the key. Yes. Is not just having the contact, but that contact being a true connection. Yes. I like that. And I'm going to take a note on this and I'm going to bring that one up again later. That's going to come back to haunt everybody out there because I hear some challenges (laughs) coming. I've got some juices uh, bubbling in the background here. So with building all of this, which you have done, and it's been, you said 30 years or so now that the- Yeah. The company is 36 years old. Amazing. I stepped down as as basically the CEO running the business six years ago. But you are now chief visionary officer, which is a title that I like much better. And that's what I want to be when I grow up is chief visionary officer and letting somebody else run the business. So as chief visionary officer now, what are your main job responsibilities and who do you need to influence? Well, I'm sort of the Colonel Sanders of BNI now, you know, I'm, I love I, it. I, I get to do the fun stuff, uh, interviews like this and write and do speaking Uh, So, you know, I get to do the fun things. I think that an entrepreneur is either working in their flame or working in their wax. Mm. And when they're working in their flame, they're on fire. They're excited. They love what they're doing. You can hear it in their voice and you can see it in the way they behave. When they're working in their wax, it takes all their energy away. And they just don't like doing it. And you can see that in the way they behave and you can hear that in their voice. And so the goal, I think, for any entrepreneur is to move as closely to working in your flame completely as 
humanly possible. So you you love the business that you're doing. I love what I'm doing more than I did 36 years ago. And I loved it 36 years ago. So I, I think that's a key part is to work in your flame. Yes. And I think that's something that everybody should take when you're done listening to this today. And perhaps as you're listening, allow that to be a little bit of a meditation on loop, a little bit of a mantra in the back, you know, yeah. what is my flame as opposed to my wax? And, and how do I get more, more light into that flame? Right. And how do I transition to that flame? Because it doesn't happen overnight. It certainly didn't for me. Yeah. So we were talking earlier before the official interview began about being the 20 year overnight success. Yes. Yeah, it really was. By the way, this is for the listeners, Laura, so you don't have to listen. Okay. I'm not paying attention. Okay. Laura did the best pre-interview. <laughs> I, I do 200 interviews a year. And Laura, she really, really prepares for these interviews. You guys have no idea how thorough she is. So you should be impressed. Okay. Well, thank now, you. Now I'll talk to you. Okay. I'll pretend I didn't hear that, but thank you for what I just did not hear. It's all about bringing value to the client, right? To value to yes. the listeners, value to everybody who's out there and making sure that it's the best experience possible for everybody, especially the guest, because we want to make sure that everybody's happy and wants to come back again. Isn't that what it's all about? Yes, it is. I think so. And you, you live that for sure. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And it, it clearly mutual. So then in doing all of this, what is the biggest communication challenge that you and BNI are facing today? So right now, I think the issue is COVID versus Zoom fatigue. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm getting a lot of people who uh, will say, you know, we want to go back and meet in person. Sure. I have Zoom fatigue. Yes. And so it's just a matter of putting things into perspective. And so I'm talking to a lot of people saying, okay, Zoom fatigue, it's a real thing. I get it. But most experts in COVID talk about networking events being super spreader events. Mm. So we could have a super spreader event. Somebody catch COVID and dies. Yeah. Or we can meet online. Yep. It's like kind of obvious <laughs> what we should be doing. And, you know, most entrepreneurs are like, okay, I understand. And they go with it. But it's a communication thing because entrepreneurs, it's like herding cats. You know, they, they want to do what they want to do. And sometimes you got to do what you got to do to get to do what you want to do. Yes. Yes. And safety is always better because if you're dead, you can't really do a lot of business afterwards. That takes the fun out of it, to say the least. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> and honestly, that's so much of what I've been working on with a lot of my clients and elsewhere is trying to figure out how do you take that in-person experience and translate it to the virtual world? Okay. You can't necessarily shake hands physically, but what you bring to the table, the experience that you convey, that you offer should be as effective, as clear, as valuable as it would be if we were sitting across the table from each other. And I think people forget that that is really possible with a little bit of effort. So I wrote an article in 2018 for entrepreneur.com and it's, it's available still on entrepreneur.com. The title is basically something like, um, Online is the new face-to-face. -face. Mm. And I was talking about disruption with in-person networks. I didn't see COVID coming, but I saw technology developing. And I realized that BNI was going to be disrupted or we could lead the disruption. Yes, the visionary. I want to lead the disruption, not be disrupted. So I planted that seed, which was interesting because when I planted that seed, the members and directors were like, oh, no, the old man's <laughs> losing it. You know, this was an in-person organization. How could he possibly say that? And then COVID hit. Yes. And wow. I'd like to think that just planting that seed and even the negative reaction that I got from it at least planted the seed so that when the CEO said, we started flipping chapters in January of last year, yeah. January of 2020. And then by February, by March worldwide, we had at that time 9,700 groups. 
that we're meeting online instead of in person. Yes. And I think that's part of, you know, communicating the vision and then communicating how we're going to accomplish that vision when the time comes. And it was the CEO that definitely did that second part. Yes. Yeah. And it is, I think, very much the seed that, that was planted so that to the extent that anybody was going to have pushback and resist and hem and haw a bit with the learning curve, they got past that by the time it became unnecessary. And when everybody was then doing it, your people were ahead of the curve. So I think that was brilliant uh, decisions. On, and the irony, of course, is that it's often, you know, you use the term, okay, the old man's gone, whatever. But I, I think it's it's <laughs> the great part is that you were the one with the vision saying, you know, hey, you whoever you, I don't care whether you're 20, 40, 60, 80 years old, get on your camera, learn to do it virtual because this is the way the world is going. And you were smart enough. It is. And so many companies have been disrupted because they weren't willing to embrace new technology. You probably already know this, but Kodak invented the digital camera. Mm. They had a patent on the digital camera and they licensed it to other people because they didn't want it to interfere with their film processing business. And the CEO said, nobody's ever going to look at pictures on a computer. The irony. How'd that work out for them? Yeah. (laughs) I I did not want to be Kodak. No, or the CEO. Yeah. (laughs) Or that CEO for sure. Yeah. That things didn't end well for him. But uh, well, okay. So then let's see. In all of this learning, so that's clearly a big success that you had uh, with vision, et cetera. What's a mistake that you made along the way or a lesson that you had to learn the hard way? Well, I think, I mean, I'll go way back. Sure. When I was starting to understand how to network effectively. We don't teach this in colleges and universities anywhere in the world. We still don't. It's, it's just, it's not taught. And it blows my mind that we don't teach it. But I got all my business basically through referrals. As a, I was a management consultant when I started BNI. My doctoral work is in organizational behavior and leadership. I studied under Warren Bennis at the University of Southern California. And I discovered pretty quickly as I was trying to method act my way through networking, because I was, you know, 27, 28 years old, didn't really know how to do this. I discovered pretty quickly that desperation is not referable. (laughs) That when you come across as really needing business, you're not going to get any business. And I also learned that it was all about relationships. You have to build the relationships where somebody trusts you. I talk about in uh, one of my books, Networking Like a Pro, the time confidence curve, that no matter what business you're in, it's going to take a certain amount of time before people have confidence in your ability to provide a quality product or service. And if you're a florist, the time confidence curve is quick. But if you're a printer, it's going to be longer, real estate agent longer. If you're a financial planner investing somebody's retirement income, it's at the end of the scale. And so you got to kind of figure out where you're on the time confidence curve and give it the time necessary to build the relationships to get referrals. So I want to make sure that I understand that because I like that phrase, the time confidence curve. What this is referring to is the idea of how much time it takes in building a relationship before that person has confidence in you. That's the key. It's, I believe when it comes to referrals, it's not your confidence that counts. You know, it's not my confidence. Yes. It's your confidence in me that counts in getting referrals. So you can be as confident as you could possibly be, but if the other person isn't, then you haven't hit that time confidence curve with the person. Fantastic. Great piece of advice. So everybody recognize that. You're, ask yourself, this is more for you to mull over, more for you to meditate on. What is your time confidence curve? How long does it take people, whoever those people may be, to build their confidence in you? And by the way, my financial planner, he was, he retired from business like uh, four years ago. He was a member for like 32 years. He told me his pipeline, which relates to the time confidence curve, the time that 
the relationship begins until it comes out of the other end as a, as a mm-hmm. client sure. was at least two to three years. Mm. His pipeline was two to three years. Right. And that's different from a closed cycle, which is a whole different element. I mean, it's related, but it's not a, a closed cycle per se. It's still the relationship may not be the client itself. Right. Because he might get a referral right. from somebody. Yes, that you're correct. It's right. not the closed cycle. Yeah, no, but they're great and because you can't have one without the other. You're, the closed cycle will never begin, much less end, if you haven't started that time confidence curve first. That's my idea of math. <laughs> That's the kind of math I can do. I like those kinds of relationships. So then what's the next big goal for you personally or for BNI? And what kind of communication skills will you need to develop to reach that goal? So let me tell you what my first really, really big goal was, and then I'll tell you what my future goal okay. is. 1986. Great. It was 18 months into BNI. Now, this was before, you know, Monsieur Google. So I, <laughs> I had to actually go to the library to get the data that I needed to figure out how big could BNI be someday. So 1986, I started in 1985, 18 months into it, did a lot of calculations, and I determined that BNI could someday possibly have over 10,000 chapters. Mm. Now, I said that to a friend of mine, and, and he said, and how many chapters do you have now? And I said, well, 30. And he said, 10,000. You have 30 groups. So you think you can have 10,000? I'm like, yeah, I, I really do. And I remember saying, well, it's very good to have goals, Ivan. Very good. <laughs> and I'm like, no, I think we could do it. And last year, December 2020, the, the most crazy year on record, BNI crossed the 10,000 chapter mark. It's amazing. And so, I think the message there for people that want to create a big vision for their business is stick to your guns, do your homework, have confidence in, in the number that you've developed and then stick to your guns. You know, it, it took me 35 years to get, which by the way, was half the time I thought it would be. Really? Yeah. I thought it would happen after my lifetime. I thought it would be about 70 years. That was my calculation. Huh. We did it in half the time. Did it, you know, while I'm still with the organization, which is incredible. Now, you're, the main question was, where do we want to go? We have 280,000 members roughly. Wow. I, I want BNI to have millions of members. Mm. I don't think you can really build a brand that is a household name or in, in our case, a business hold name. You know, every business sure. knows what BNI is. I don't think you can really do that until you have millions of participants, not hundreds of thousands. And so our goal is to be in every entrepreneurial nation in the world and to be in every community and city in the world and to have millions of members, not hundreds of thousands. That's amazing. And what do you think will it'll take as far as communications, as far as marketing, as far as whatever to make that quantum leap? Well, I think the internet has actually helped our in-person meetings. Obviously, it's helped for the online version, sure. but I think it has helped. Because, you know, in our first 11 years of BNI, we had 500 chapters that I opened. But in the second 11, which was right around the, the release of the internet in the mid-90s, we opened 5,000. Wow. And so what happens is with technology today, it flattens the communication hierarchy. I have people in 70 countries who can connect with me directly mm. through social media, through my blog. You know, 35 years ago, if I had this many members, probably wouldn't be able to get this big. But if I had this many members, they'd have to go through five doormen to get to me. <laughs> but you can get to me through social media. And, yes. you know, I might have somebody respond or I might personally respond. People are always surprised when I personally respond. So I think the technology, if you use it, and BNI has always been an early adopter. I mean, think about it. Our website is BNI.com. Yes. Try to get a three-letter domain today. Yeah. 
It's just not going to happen no. in any combination of letters. And so um, we were, we've been an early adopter to technology for a long time. And I think that's a critical part of achieving your goals. Well, that brings us, and we have talked, so there's one opportunity, where can you be an early adopter? And we've had a couple of other food for thought nuggets that have come out so far where I've, I've suggested that everybody needs to start thinking about these, your wax and your flame, et cetera, et cetera. So now we're going to be a little bit more explicit in giving instructions. This is going to bring us to our listener 24-hour influence challenge. So Ivan, this is an opportunity for you to address the listeners directly, which you've already taken the opportunity to do earlier. And so I'm handing it right back to you now so that you can challenge everyone to take one step that they can complete within 24 hours so they can have more influence. How would you like to challenge our listeners today? I would take a look at your database and I would break it up between three categories, visibility, credibility, profitability. Each person, am I at visibility with this person? You might be at invisibility. You met them once, they don't remember you, but are you at visibility? Do they know who you are? Are you at credibility? Do they really know who you are and they know you're good at what you do? Or are they at profitability where they know who you are, they know what you do, and they've given you referrals because this is a referral process, not a sales process. So you got to understand where you're at in these three places because it's a different communication strategy depending on where you're at. So you don't send somebody you're only at visibility with, come to this uh, presentation I'm doing. They don't even know you. But the people you're at credibility with, they'll open that email. Profitability, they'll open that email, hit that link. So you communicate differently uh, with the different people that you're at. Now, this is a process, not a formula. It's not V plus C equals P. You have to go from visibility to credibility to profitability. You've probably seen Laura where people jump over. Hi, Laura, my name's Ivan. Here's three copies of my card. Maybe you could refer me to other people. I'm like, yes. sorry, who are you? <laughs> What's your name again? Right. By the way, we call that premature solicitation, which you don't want to say fast three times, it'll get you in trouble. <laughs> That's funny. I remember being at an, at an event once and, you know, everybody was at round tables in the conference room, in the conference center. And one person walks by and she just doesn't even say hello to everybody. She just took a stack of her business cards and dealt them out like the blackjack dealer in Vegas, just dealt one out to everybody else at the table and then walked away. And we all just looked at each other like, really? was that a drive-by carding? <laughs> yeah. What just, what was that? Yeah. I don't think many people took them home. No. No. Uh, and my co-author, Brian Hilliard with Networking Like a Pro, he says he has this beautiful dog uh, named Brandy. He said if that worked, what he would do is he would just put like a little saddle thing on Brandy and put business cards on one side and say, take one. And then on the other side, say, put yours in here. He could send Brandy in. He'd come back with tons. Brandy would come back with tons of business cards. Right. But is that really networking? Right. You can no. do that with your Roomba at that point. Yeah. Just <laughs> do that with the Roomba. I like just that. Let it sort of meander around. It'll bump into tables, bump into walls, but eventually it'll cover the whole floor and maybe you'll get a few cards along the way or a lot of cigarette butts stubbed out or something along those lines. Yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So, okay. So, and I want to actually take a moment to look at that for others, because while there are a lot of people who are listening in, who are entrepreneurs or are in sales or are in that kind of mode, but there are others though, who are in other kinds of jobs. And I want you to think about how and you as well, Ivan, but also for those who are out there listening, who maybe say, well, but I'm not in sales or I'm not a, a business owner. So how does that relate to me? I want you to think about your network, the people that you know, and what do you want to achieve? What kinds of opportunities do you want? What kinds of projects do you want to have the opportunity to participate in, to lead? What initiatives might you want to take some day? And then think about who is in the sphere of influence that you have or that you need. And how would you operationalize those three levels? 
Do they know you exist? Are you at the visibility level? Are you at the credibility level? Have you had interactions with them? Do they know who you are? Do they, uh, you know, have an idea of what you do and how good you are at it? Or are you at the level of profitability where they might just, when the opportunity arises, does your name jump to their mind before you even have to throw your hat in the ring? Did I translate that well? You did. And it doesn't have to be about sales. I mean, most of my members are obviously, you know, trying to do business development, but it doesn't have to be. The BCP applies even if you're an employee, because you want to have a network of people that are willing to refer you maybe to a new job, refer you for a project. Yeah, to be in your corner. You want that. And that's what really profitability is. There are people in your corner. I love that. I love that. The VCP, VCP, visibility, credibility, profitability. So go, you know, write those on a napkin or write them on your arm or something and, and meditate on those a little bit longer as well. <laughs> All right. Well, this brings us into the discussion more about how you have grown your business, grown BNI, not just the membership, the organization, but the, the company itself. And you have leads of all different levels in all different countries and all different areas. And so when you think about things like succession planning, career advancement within the company, within corporate, how do you think about terms like executive presence, leadership presence, command presence? How do you know what when you see it? I've talked about this a little bit in, in a blog I did. I think there are probably six or seven things that you want to focus on in terms of leadership. And I got to give credit to Warren Bennis, uh, who passed away a few years ago. You know, he was in his day, the John Maxwell mm. of leadership. Uh, he really understood leadership well. So the seven things that I talk about is one, you got to focus on solutions, not problems. It is so easy to get tied up into just talking about problems. And if all you do is talk about problems, you become an expert at problems and you have no solution. So you have to become an expert at helping get your team to help you find solutions. Then you have to collaborate with that team. Collaboration is really critical. Third, you have to be a culture champion. If you're a leader in an organization, you have to be the culture champion. You have to be the person talking about core values, about the vision of your organization, about the mission of your organization. Culture is the DNA of a company. It's what tells us who we are as a tribe and how we can serve others. And I think culture eats strategy for breakfast. Yes. It's so incredibly important. Uh, you have to care about, number four, you have to care about the success of others. I mean, really care about the success of others. Yes. Before we went on, you asked me, what, what would I like most out of this interview? And that's an, an example of caring about another person. And you got to do that in spades with the people who work in your organization. You have to have contextual intelligence. That's five. And six is adaptive capacity. And they kind of go hand in hand. You can't treat everything the same. You got to understand the context. So you have to have contextual intelligence. This is something right out of Warren Bennis. Then you have to have the adaptive capacity to adapt to the scenario that is sitting in front of you. You can't use a cookie cutter approach to being a great leader. Those are the six. There's six items. And adaptive capacity is the sixth. I think those six things help you amongst many other things. You pick up a book by uh, John Maxwell and <laughs> you'll get a lot more on how to be a great leader. I've known John for years. He's an amazing guy. And John Maxwell's most popular book, uh, most seminal work is, is, of course, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. So if anybody's not familiar with that book yet and is looking at either rising from being an individual contributor to a manager, from a manager to a leader. This is definitely something worth getting and, and putting on that nightstand and, and working through. It is. And his Laws of Leadership book is also really powerful. Yes, yes. So when you are then 
it sounds like those are the critical elements that you would look for when you're going to hire or promote somebody as well. With regard to their communication skills specifically, are there a couple that you look for that you say, okay, you can have the technical expertise and the understanding about the adaptability and all of those other six elements, but how does that translate into the way that they communicate? Yeah. So, you know, there's a huge difference between IQ and EQ. IQ being, you know, your intelligence, it's your intelligence quotient, but EQ is your emotional quotient, social capital, emotional intelligence. You might get hired because of your IQ because somebody thinks you're smart, but you're going to get promoted because of your EQ, your ability to interact effectively, to communicate effectively with other people. And the communication skills differ depending on, you know, where you are in the organization. One of the things I teach networking, I think also applies in being a good leader. Yes. A good networker, a good leader has two ears and one mouth and should use them both proportionately. You should be listening to people as much or more than what you're doing. You're telling people to do. You should be listening. A good leader is like a good radio podcast host. Asks questions, gets people to open up and talk. And that's, I think, a great leader. And that's absolutely no doubt about it, a great networker. Yes. Yes. I love it. And so then is there a red flag on the flip side of that coin? That would be a career derailer for somebody. They may have on paper, at least, or in execution of their own duties, most of those six elements, but? Yeah, if I were, it's been a while since I've done the hiring, I would be an I, but if I were, when I was doing the hiring, I was looking for people who were also willing to listen. I wanted them to share. But as I talked about in interviews, I would talk about our core values. I would talk about our vision, our mission. And I needed to make sure that I had people that were actually paying attention, that were listening as well as communicating. Both of those skill sets, I think, are really important. And I would often ask questions about, you know, how would you handle a certain problem? How would you deal with this? If this problem came to you, how would, how would you address it? And I'd listen to their thought process. They didn't have to have the right answer, but they had to have the right thought process. In the early days of the business, I really believe that ignorance on, and, and still do, when you don't have a lot of money, and I didn't in the start, ignorance on fire is better than knowledge on ice. Interesting. Okay. Talk to me about that. I would rather have somebody who is young and not terribly experienced, or they didn't have to be young, but they didn't have to have tons of experience. Uh, there were many people I hired who were coming back into the workforce after having children, but they were on fire. They were passionate to get the position. And I talked to people who on paper looked really good, but they kind of like answered questions like this. And they, it was clear that they weren't excited. And I have always believed, now the best is knowledge on fire, but that's expensive. And B and I didn't have that kind of money in the beginning. We do now, but you know we weren't big enough to get knowledge on fire. So if you're a small operation, I felt like I will teach you how, but you got to be willing to learn. And that's where the ignorance on fire is better than knowledge on ice. You can teach content. It's hard to teach passion. Yes, absolutely. Agreed. All right. Well, this then brings us to my speed round. And these are three issues that are really stop gaps for a lot of people where they get stuck, can't get past the head trash or whatnot. And so we're going to look at where there's this sense of black and white, yes or no's, even though we really know it's a lot of grayscale. And so I'll ask you to choose A or B for each one very briefly, and then we'll poke for a little bit more of that grayscale. So first- You, you will poke. Okay, good. Because- yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. No, you don't uh, get off with just a one word answer. Forget it. Not on this show. Not in my world. Uh, it's funny. I tell people in um, 
when I'm doing trainings, even virtually, that I want people's cameras on. I don't care whether there's 20 or 200 people on the call or whatever it is, and everybody's going to participate. And in my former life, a million years ago, I used to teach public school. So it does not matter where you sit, I will find you and you will participate. <laughs> you cannot hide behind the kid in front of you with the big hair or whatever it is. I know that you're hiding back That's there. Funny. You will participate. Life is not a spectator sport. I used to be a substitute high school teacher years ago. Did you? Any particular yeah. subject? Oh, no, whatever they would put me in. Yeah. When you're a sub, you just basically get, but it was public school. Yes. And it was an interesting experience. It is a humbling experience. I, yes. <laughs> humbling, to yes. say the least, Absolutely. it teaches you to reprioritize things in ways you never would have expected. Yeah. <laughs> and in some ways it really teaches you to roll with things because man, if you yeah. can't pivot and be flexible and just, you can plan your lesson plan, start to finish in the course of the day by eight ten. In the morning, it could have been completely blown out of the water. The it's a fire yeah. drill or, you know, who knows what's going on. But, oh, my gosh, do you learn to pivot? Was that a good learning experience for me as an entrepreneur in ways I never would have imagined? So first, public speaking, love it or hate it? Love it. Can you give everybody a tip for how to speak with confidence and manage nerves, even in those moments when perhaps you don't feel it as much as normal? So let me give you two. I'll, do, I'll try to be really quick. Great. One is I've been doing this for decades. I still get nervous mm. when I go up in front of an audience to speak. I still, it's okay to be nervous. Don't let that freeze you. Right. Instead, embrace the adrenaline. I have found that when I've gone up on rare occasions where maybe I get introduced faster than I thought I would be, I go up and I'm not on. And I realize, why am I not on? Oh, the adrenaline, the adrenaline wasn't running. Oh my goodness, I got to do a good job. Oh, wait, there's adrenaline. And then all of a sudden... I do a better job. So embrace the adrenaline. Don't let it freeze you. Let it focus you. Yes, I love that. Embrace the adrenaline. That's yes. a great word to sit on and chew and on. And one other tip, when you're telling a story, stories have to be part of a good presentation, I believe. Always relive a story. Don't retell a story. Yes. Don't retell a story. Relive the story. Relive it in your own skin in your own cells and relive it as you describe it. Yes. You know, describe the scenario, who was there, what was happening, what took place. You become a much better storyteller when you relive the story than retell it. Yes. And then people get sucked into it. They get lost in the story because they're experiencing it with you. They're not just sort of processing the text yeah. as it comes through their ears. Yeah. And then make sure that story ties to your content in some well, way. Yes. And it's amazing <laughs> how the stories, you can make the craziest stories tied to your content. Relevance. Yeah. Relevance just to connect whatever it is. Yeah. Yep. That's great. Now, I think I know the answer to this one, but let's see if I'm right. Introvert or extrovert, where do you fall? Surprisingly, introvert. Really? Okay, great. So there you go. I'm wrong. So this goes along with that. I love the fact that that's the combination because there are so many people who will say, well, I'm an introvert, so I can't be good at public speaking. It's like a get out of jail free card excuse yeah. to not have to get better at it. So as a natural introvert, then this is, of course, more about how you, uh, what costs you energy and what gives you energy. What is one of your natural strengths as an inherent introvert and what's an area for growth? Oh, my superpower absolutely is that I am a dog with a bone. <laughs> I'll take some issue and I'll just work it and work it and work it and work it until I get it to where it is. So I always thought I was an extrovert. I was having dinner a decade ago with my late wife and she, I forget what, how it came up. And she said, well, I said something about, well, you know me, I'm an extrovert. And she's like, um, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean I'm not? I'm the world's largest network. I'm a key, keynote speaker. Of course I am. 
no, you're not. And she said, I'm reading the book, The Introvert and Extrovert in Love. And she's giving me all these reasons. And I'm like, okay, some of that really makes sense. I'm now annoyed. And I go into my office, I take a, a, a test on introvert, extrovert online. Yeah. And it came back and said, congratulations, Dr. Meisner, you are an introvert <laughs> who's a situational extrovert. Yes. Which means that when you're talking about a topic that you're passionate about, when you're with friends, you come across as an extrovert. Otherwise, you're an introvert. Go apologize to your wife. Okay, didn't say, <laughs> it didn't say the last part. But, but that was uh, the inference that you took. That, That's that great. And so I kind of went out. Might like, as well oh, have said that. You're right. I'm an introvert. She's like, yeah, I kind of knew it. <laughs> and how long had you been married at that point? At that point, we'd been married over 20 years. So she had enough time to get to know some of the <laughs> yeah. fundamentals of who you are. Sometimes yeah. better than you know yourself. Isn't that funny how a good partner yeah, can do that? It is. Business partner, life partner, or otherwise. And finally, let's talk about conflict. Nobody likes it, but when faced with potential conflict or a difficult conversation, is your natural DNA hardwiring to want to avoid or to dive in and just address it head on? Well, I'd say my natural inclination is to avoid, but that's not effective. Of course not. So hence my follow-up would be, if you know that your natural tendency is to want to avoid, what have you learned about that? And what have you learned to do instead to manage conflict more effectively? Absolutely, positively, unequivocally, you got to go read a book called Crucial Conversation. Ah, fabulous book. Crucial Conversation. Yes. Wow. It really helped me when I had this massive problem in the organization and I needed to deal with it. I couldn't hide from it. I had to deal with it. And I read that book. It helped me a great deal. I also had a coach that helped me on this very specific problem. And one of the things he said was, you know, do all of the things that it talks about in crucial conversations. And then when you're at the conference where you're going to have this conflict that you're expecting, walk around and smile like Gandhi and just nod, say hello, shake people's hands, be calm, hmm. be present. Yes. Don't be frenetic. One of the things I did to help do that was I dealt with the issue and I made up like a thousand buttons that said Eggbuck. Eggbuck. E-G-B-O-K. Okay. Everything's going to be okay. <laughs> Everything's going to be okay. And after we had this one meeting and everybody's calmed down, I handed out all these buttons. I said, give them to other directors here. Hand them out. And I'm walking around the conference and everybody's wearing these buttons. Everything's going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. All right. <laughs> So, you know, you got to be, you have to be calm in the midst of gunfire, basically. Yes. You know, not real gunfire, but the conflict that takes place between people. You got to be a calming influence if you want to get through it. I think that was my approach. I could not agree with you more. It goes along with the keep calm and carry on kind of uh, <laughs> messages that you're seeing printed all over the place nowadays. Well, I am so sorry that this interview is coming to a close because I've had so much fun talking with you today. Ivan, how can people learn more about you and BNI in particular? So BNI.com is where uh, you can find out about BNI. I have a blog, IvanMeisner.com, and I've been blogging since 2007, twice a week. So there is literally hundreds and hundreds of uh, free stuff wow. up on IvanMeisner.com. And you can get me on any, any of the social media platforms. I probably have the most on Facebook. So come see me on Facebook and check out. It's lots of content. I tend not to try to sell stuff. I try to provide educational content. I love it. So everybody, please go check out Ivan's blog, check out the Facebook page, and of course, check out BNI. Thank you so much for joining us today. Truly my pleasure, Laura. I really enjoyed it immensely. 
And everybody else out there listening, thank you once again for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And don't forget to give us a five-star rating on iTunes so we can help even more people increase their confidence, presence, and influence. And finally, if you want to download my quick start guide to mastering the three C's, command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal, go to speakingtoinfluence.com. I'm Dr. Laura Sokola, and you're listening to Speaking to Influence, communication secrets of the C-suite. Hi, everyone. This is Dr. Laura Sokola, and I want to sincerely thank you for listening to the Speaking to Influence podcast. If you love listening to these episodes as much as I love bringing them to you, be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And please go to iTunes right now to rate and review our podcast in order to help us expand our reach so even more people can master the three C's to command the room, connect with the audience, and close the deal. Thanks for listening to Speaking to Influence, Communication Secrets of the C-Suite, the show for leaders who want to speak with impact. The hosts, producers, owners, and media distributors of the show make no guarantees that the strategies and information discussed will result in profit or other success and may result in losses. The opinions and statements of the hosts and guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the owners, staff, managers, broadcasters, or sponsors of the show. No medical or psychological therapy or personal or professional wellness or relationship advice is offered in the show. You are advised to seek counsel on matters related to your health, family, relationships, job, or other business and legal matters from licensed advisors in those areas prior to making any changes in business or lifestyle. No information provided may be suitable in your situation. As always, take responsibility for the decisions and actions you take, including the reactions they may make in your work, family, health, and life.